That would be great. Um, we are in week number eight in our More Than a Feeling series as we journey with joy through the book of Philippians. Um, we've had a fun table uh, where we've had uh, an assortment of fun uh, things uh, back there. If you go through the middle doors to the right or the back door over here, um, today we have an assortment of fun pens and pencils. Uh, so if you uh, would like, we would say help yourself. We're asking that you maybe only take two per person uh, and save some for others. Second service too. Okay. going to begin with a question, okay? Have you ever had something that you were convinced was valuable and priceless even, and you kept it in a very safe place only to discover that what you thought was valuable and priceless was actually of no value? <laughs> it, was, it was really worthless? Fairly early in my relationship with Denise, and I'll let you tell, if you want to know how early you can talk to her, um, I began promising her that if you would marry me, I'm going to take you to Hawaii. So, as things progressed, uh, it became clear Hawaii was not going to happen on our honeymoon. Just were no finances for that. So, um, it's going to have to be later. Um, and uh, early in my marriage, the next few years, I'm looking for a bargain trip to the Aloha State. Tracking with me? Uh, so... Uh, probably three years into our marriage, um, I've always been an avid newspaper reader. I was reading the travel section of the Grand Rapids Press, and a discount airfare was there, an ad, to Hawaii on the Pineapple Express. That was the name. Truth. Sounded a little fishy. So I called a travel agent, and he said, sure enough, it's legit. I've booked other people. I've had people go. Um, it, it's fine. It, it's not luxurious, but yes, they'll get you there. So I said, well, then book us for two seats, $299 round trip each on the Pineapple Express. And I felt really good because I was going to keep my promise to Denise. Um, two vouchers came in the mail, uh, read the vouchers multiple times, two years to complete your trip. So uh, Denise and I began to save up. We're going to go have a little second honeymoon in Hawaii. Sounds good, doesn't it? Kids weren't here yet. It was going to be amazing. About a year later, we've saved up. We're ready to book. I uh, got the number on the vouchers, and I call. But the phone number kept saying, this number's out of service. That's funny. So I called the travel agent, and I'm talking, and I said, I, I have a question about the Pineapple Express. Now, you need to understand, those vouchers were kept in our lockbox. You know, we, we, those were valuable to us. Um, and suddenly now... I recognized our treasured vouchers were not going to be in the lockbox any longer. 
the travel agent said, Mr. Ellis, I'm afraid uh, I've got some bad news for you. That's not a good way to begin a conversation. He said, uh, the Pineapple Express has gone bankrupt. Uh, they're no longer taking people on trips to Hawaii. So Henry, my great bargain, 600 bucks in vouchers, is worthless. And I can't say I did it that day, but uh, as I kept calling the number, hoping that something would change. True story. Um, but in time, I ripped those vouchers up and I threw them in the garbage. They, they were so valuable to me, and now they're worthless. In the passage we're going to look at today, Philippians chapter 3, Paul explains, I, I've got this religious due system that I think is valuable. It's priceless. It's the most important thing in my life. Paul dedicated his life to the due system, work, effort, meticulous, devoted his life to make sure that he followed all the rules and the regulations of the Old Testament law. But in time, he discovered his due system was a lot like my Pineapple Express vouchers. They're worthless. They're, they're bankrupt. They, they, they have no value. So if you would, please locate Philippians chapter 3 with me on your phone or in your Bible, where Paul comes to realize that everything he built his life upon for the first 30 years of his life, his due system, all of his efforts, focus, passion, zeal, it's worthless. It's rubbish. It's garbage. Stand with me, please, if you're able. Let's read out loud. We're going to read the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3 together. You ready? Here we go. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. <clears throat> 
I no longer count on my own righteousness, though obeying the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, confess there's lots of things that we consider valuable, priceless. We've devoted our lives to them. And yet the truth is, one day you're going to call it worthless. It's going to be burned up. We're going to have nothing to show for it. Lord, that's exactly what happened to Paul. And the truth is, it's going to happen to some of us as well. So, would you show us where our foundations are shaky? Would you make it clear what we're building our lives upon? We need your help today, Lord, as we dig into your word. I uh, pray for my friends here. Those watching online who've had an awful week, some are hurting and mourning, recovering from hurts and harms and pain and sickness that they're going through. And Lord, I'm praying, Lord, that even right now, your word and this service today would bring hope, would uh, recharge their batteries and refill their tanks. I also, Lord, want to pray for our friends and our sister church in Haiti. Lord, uh, their world got rocked with the biggest, strongest earthquake they've had in a hundred years. And Lord, right now, some of them uh, lost their houses. Some of them uh, are going to lose uh, crops. There's a hurricane barreling down on their way. Lord, would you protect our friends, our, our family there in Haiti, especially the church in Derryville? Lord, uh, they've, they've had a awful day, and I pray for your grace during their time of need. We invite your spirit, Lord, like we do every Sunday. You come and take charge today in your church. Take charge of these uh, weak lips of mine. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice, be seated. Paul uh, lists seven items that were part of his due system portfolio. Um, he valued these seven items, he said. Uh, they were priceless. Uh, he was literally banking his life on the due system and these seven different items. Uh, let's go through those one at a time. Look at verse 5. Item number one, he says... Uh, Paul was circumcised on the eighth day, verse 5. Um, Genesis 17 and verse 12 explains that if you are a child of Israel, um, you are to have your baby boys circumcised on the eighth day after they're born. Paul was born into a home with parents that honored the details of the law. That's what he's saying. I, I grew up with mom and dad 
and they did it God's way. And I'm putting that into my account. I'm banking on the fact that they did it God's way right from the beginning of my life. Item number two in Paul's due system, verse 5, he says, I was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. He was a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Paul's telling us, I was a part of God's chosen people, so therefore, I get extra brownie points with God, and I'm counting on that. Uh, I'm counting that that will help make me extra righteous and extra good in God's eyes. Do system item number three, verse five. He was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> and uh, we would say, nice, big deal, so what? Well, here's the deal. Paul could trace his lineage, his ancestry to Benjamin, who was the only son of Jacob born in the promised land. Okay? When they got back, then they had the child Benjamin. From Benjamin's tribe came Saul, Israel's first king. And does anyone remember, what did they call Paul before he came to faith in Christ? Any, anybody remember? What is it? Oh, so he was actually named after the first king of Israel who was a Benjamite. Jerusalem and the temple all the land was divvied up, okay? And Jerusalem and the temple were within the land of Benjamin. That was a big deal. The tribe of Benjamin stayed loyal to King David when Absalom, David's son, led the rebellion against David, okay? Uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. The Benjamites were known as valiant warriors. When, when it came to fighting and war, Nobody was better than the Benjamites, and they led Israel into battle, Judges 5.14, Hosea 5.8. And many from the tribe of Benjamin, even in biblical times when the New Testament was written, refused to marry Gentiles like most of the other tribes would. So we're going to stay pure, we're going to stay only marrying other Jews. So they took great pride in being a Benjamite. Priceless. Paul says, that's in my due system list. That, that's like right there. Uh, due system item number four. Look at the last part of verse five. Paul was certain this was going to get him into heaven. He was a real Hebrew if ever there was one. He, he was a real Hebrew, meaning that most of the Jews of Paul's day spoke Greek, Koine Greek, okay? Average common Greek, okay? Um, and they not, they not only spoke Greek, they adopted Greek customs, and they kind of blended in. Uh, Paul said, no, I'm going to stay in the minority, and he continued to speak Hebrew, and he followed Jewish customs, and he dressed like his ancestors, so Paul says, I'm not going to be like this progressive crowd around me. I'm going to stay true to what he thought was God's plan. Uh, I, I know Hebrew was their language. I'm going to keep speaking Hebrew, and I'm going to dress just like our ancestors did. 
I'm going to hold true to what grandma and grandpa and great grandpa and grandma, how they talked and how they dressed. Do system item number, play along with me, okay? Do system item number, okay, he put this in his lockbox. Uh, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. Pharisees were the most conservative, the most law-abiding of the Jewish denominations, okay? They were meticulous about observing every Old Testament law, but not just the ones in the Old Testament. Then they added thousands, tens of thousands of laws and regulations, and they were meticulous about keeping them personally, and they were the junkyard dogs defending their way of thinking. To anybody who disagreed, you're wrong, we're right, we're better, we're superior, we're religious, and you're not, because we're Pharisees. Everybody, you're a VW Beetle, and we are Rolls Royces. That's what they thought. That was in Paul's portfolio on his due system. Due system item number Thank you. Verse 6, look what he says. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. Paul really believed he was doing God a favor by attempting to stomp out the existence of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul was so inflamed with passion to destroy any view that was not in line with his view that he thought God was happy with him for going and attempting to destroy the New Testament church. He was confident, I'm getting extra credit points. Anybody like extra credit points, you know? So I don't just want 100, I want 100 plus the extra credit points. And that's where Paul was confident. I'm, I'm doing this and God is so happy with me for, for being so zealous in getting rid of those followers of Jesus. Do system item number... Okay, thanks. Verse 6, as for righteousness, I observe the law without fault. Without fault. I, you could follow Paul around meticulously. Uh, he followed the outward rule since he was young. No one could point a finger at Paul and find him guilty. When it came to the Jewish religious system, his due system, he was meticulous. He, he followed every regulation. Those, those regulations, you need to know, were brutal to keep. But Paul was devoted. I, I'm, I'm going to be a Pharisee. I'm going to follow the law. I'm convinced that I'm going to get an A+. Plus. When I get to heaven, the Lord's going to look at me and say, A+, plus, Paul, well done. You scored well above everybody else. Nice job. If a perfect pedigree and upbringing followed by high achievement in the religious due system endured, if that ensured good standing with God Almighty, Paul was in great shape. And that's what he's saying here. If anybody could earn it, it's me. If anybody deserves to be led into heaven for all of their efforts, all of their hard work, it's me. 
But then something life-changing happened. Something amazing happened to Paul as he made his way to Damascus. Uh, if you would, turn with me to the book of Acts, would you? I, I think it's too powerful not to go back and read it, okay? He's on his way to Damascus. He was, he was following these Christ followers all the way to Syria. They were attempting to run and hide and escape Paul's zeal. Verse 1, here's, here's what happens. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, remember what his name was? Saul, <laughs> why are you persecuting me? Uh, who, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of somebody's voice, but they saw nobody. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Maybe that's what I should do. Anyway, uh, now, I just thought of that, yeah. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to the Lord right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord... Exclaimed Ananias, I, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul's my chosen instrument to make my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I'll show him how much, must, how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias went and found Saul. Laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, <laughs> has sent me that so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, regained his sight. Then he went up and got baptized, and after he ate some food and regained his strength, Saul st stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and then look what happens. Verse 20. And immediately began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He indeed is the Son of God. What, what, what happened to Saul and his due system? Are you ready? Jesus happened to Saul's due system. Uh, Jesus appears to Saul, says, What are you doing? What are you doing? Um, and literally, the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ 
being the Messiah, being the Savior, the Lord that, that Saul was looking for, becomes Paul, it changed everything. The seven items that he was counting on, his due system, suddenly he realized was empty and bankrupt and worthless and needed to be discarded. You understanding? He, he knew instantly because Paul saw the richness and the power of knowing Jesus. Verse 7. We're back in Philippians 3. I once thought these things were valuable, <laughs> these seven due systems, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, for Christ's sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as what? Counting it all as? So that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith in Christ. <laughs> Verse 7, in an accounting term, he says, I, I counted on. I, I, I once thought these things, but now I consider them. Okay? Uh, literally, the accounting term means uh, I used to put it on the credit side of the ledger. I used to think all of my seven Items in my due system were priceless, but now I know I put them in the wrong column. You understand? I, I had them in the priceless credit column, but now I realize they're irrelevant and empty and bankrupt, and now they're garbage. And he just says, I, I threw them in the garbage after Acts 19, uh, 9, 1 to 20. I realize they're, they're not valuable at all. All the due program did for Paul was puff him up, fill him with pride, wear him out from having to observe all of the thousands of laws and give him a false sense of security. He was trusting in his own righteousness. You understand? He was trusting in what he could do. I want you to turn with me one more time. Let's go to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Can, can you go back there with me real fast? Isaiah Chapter 64, okay, talks about our righteousness. Um, all of the nice and the good and the moral things that we've done through our life, but I did them for me and I didn't do them when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, prompted by what He asked me to do. I, I did them in my own power, I did them in my own strength. Here's the best efforts of all of us. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but what? Filthy rags. Filthy. The best things you've ever done in your life, think about it, uh, whether it involved money or sacrifice or effort, uh, in God's perspective, you did them, you made it happen, the best we have to offer, this is literally dirty, soiled toilet paper. Actually, it's, it's the 
the Hebrew word ida, the bodily fluids from a woman's menstrual cycle. That's the best you've ever done. The soiled rags literally is what he's saying. That's the best that we have to offer in our own strength and power. So, so the Lord looks at our best efforts in our own strength. I, I'm making this happen, and, and it's just dirty toilet paper. It smells. It's gross. No, thank you. Here's what Martin Luther said. The most damnable and pernicious heresy that's ever plagued the mind of man is that somehow we can make ourselves good enough to deserve to live forever with a holy God. Let, let that soak in. <laughs> the most damnable and pernicious heresy that's ever come upon our brains is that we can earn our, I can be good enough to deserve to live with holy God forever. Can I say, you know, we talk about the do system. Um, survey after survey, poll after poll. I, I could start, cite Barna right now. Um, I, I could just tell you that like high percentages of Americans believe, how do you get to heaven? Well, I have to be good enough. I have to earn it. I've got to merit it. I, I've got to be nice. And someday... At the judgment, the Lord's going to put on all the good stuff I did and all the bad stuff. Uh, and, and if my good stuff outweighs my bad, then the Lord say, okay, you can come in. Can I tell you, the due system is alive and well today. And, and did you know the due system is alive and well today in the church? Most Christ followers... If you ask them, how do you get to heaven? Um, well, I have to be good. I have to be nice. I, I have to give. I, I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to do stuff. And I just point back to 64.6, the best stuff you and I could ever do. In our own strength, I'm trying to earn a relationship with a holy God. It's just nothing but gross toilet paper. Paul says, only through a daily, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is now what gets me on the done system, which is God's system. My life is built on Jesus. Okay? Paul's looking back, and he said, you know what? I realized the exact moment when my eyes were opened, literally, and my due system, my religious system broke down and crashed into a million little pieces. <laughs> I had my lockbox filled to the brim. Rules, regular, look at all. Look, look at my pedigree. Look at my ancestry. Look, look at who I am. I'm a Pharisee. I'm killing Christians. I got a lot going on in my due program. And he says, you know what? I had to take it all out back. I thought about bringing a dumpster up here. And I thought, you know, I'm not sure that smell. And anyway, we, we decided not to do uh, uh, that because that would be uh, a do system sort of thing. So taking it all back to the dumpster and throwing it away. The do system is self-righteous and empty and vain. So Paul closes this section 
with God's program. So, so if it's not work, earn, merit, deserve it, what is it then? This is it, the done program. Verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I, I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that one way or another I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul tells us, you know what? I'm not content with just knowing about Jesus as a fact of history. You know, yeah, I, I know Jesus. He, he was a good guy. He, he did some good teaching. He's, he's had a good moral influence. He says, I'm not content. I, I have a zeal now to know Jesus as the resurrected living king of me and of the universe. Do you understand the difference? I don't want to know him as a, a historical fact. I want to have a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to know Jesus as a friend to be enjoyed. I want to see Christ's power, track with me, operating in my life daily and lived out in me and through me. Yet not I, but Christ in me. However, uh, look at verse 10. <laughs> kind of rushed over that a little bit. Um, I want to suffer with Jesus, sharing in his death. We, we kind of rush over that part, don't we? Uh, I'm beginning to learn more and more, up close and personal, growth and power in the Christian life involves pain and suffering. Some of you don't like that, and frankly, I don't either, uh, but it's a truth. Suffering and pain is what it takes to get the growth and the power that he's talking about. It comes through fellowship with Jesus in his suffering. Look at verse 10. I'm not making this up. And he's already warned us. If, if you go back in Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 28. Paul's already said, uh, don't be surprised or intimidated by enemies. You're going to have people, uh, Bob, who won't like who you are and what you stand for. They're not going to like your testimony. We're going to have enemies in this life. Verse 29, we have the privilege of suffering with Jesus. Myron, do you put privilege and suffering in the same sentence? I don't. It's true though. Verse 30, you're going through this struggle, he said, church at Philippi, church at Walloon. You're going through this struggle, Paul says, me too. So am I. <laughs> this journey called the Christian life is not happy, skippy fun. This journey called the Christian life is not happy, skippy, and fun. We're at war, friends. We are at war with a sneaky, powerful enemy who hates us and wants to destroy us. You understand? Satan and his demonic army, they want to devour and destroy us. So don't be surprised when the fiery darts are flying at us. I recall reading uh, an email diary of a young man who came to Walloon. Um, he's moved away, but his name was Ben, and Ben was in Iraq, and he he was writing in his emails and talking about what it was like to be at war in Iraq. And he talked about 110 degree heat and sandstorms 
and the heavy armor that they had to wear and the dangerous days of being on patrol. And he talked about having his friends picked off by snipers. And we actually did a funeral right here of one of those friends who died picked off by a sniper. Paul's telling us, give me your eyes, joy is still available despite the pain. Isn't that good? Despite the difficulty, despite the suffering, despite the attack, joy is still available. Now that's important because I would argue it's been a lot, pretty tough last couple of years. Can I get an amen there? Um, many of us have lost loved ones. Many of us have battled through the pandemic. Some of us have gotten it. Some of us are still battling it. Culture and political wars are boiling around us. And don't discount the fiery darts. I think, I think Satan sees us and we're suffering and we're hurting and, and our daubers are down. And I think he's launching in the fiery darts like never before. I see more fiery darts coming at me. I see more fiery darts coming at the family here than ever before. Um, I've got great news. Are you ready? Power and joy and the comfort of Christ are still available, even on your worst day. Is that not good? Power and comfort and joy. Uh, I join Paul in his passion. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. You ready to join up? I, I like that. I, I want to know Christ, and I want to experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. And oh, by the way, that power was the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And where does that third person of the Trinity, where does that, where does he live today? Point, point at where he lives. Oh, yeah. He lives right here. So I close by saying, let's cancel the do program. We, you know, let's cancel culture. Let's, let's cancel the self-effort. I'm going to earn, merit, deserve to live forever with a holy God because I've got all of my dirty toilet paper stored up for years and I'm going to show him all the dirty toilet crud that I've saved, and I'm going to say, you should let me into heaven, because look at all that I've accumulated. Gross. <laughs> Let's reject the do program. Let's embrace the done program. King Jesus has made the done program available through the cross and the empty tomb. So here's my question as we close. You got the do program? Paul says, empty Worthless, bankrupt, I threw it all away. Or the done program, I found Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what I'm banking on. That's where the power comes from. That's where the joy resides. Let's pray. Lord, we pause just for a moment now and we just acknowledge that most of our family members, most of our friends, most of the people we work with, most of the people who our kids go to school with, 
are living on the do program. And the truth is, some of us, even though maybe we were on the done program when we got saved, we've jumped back on the do program. So Lord, would you show us exactly where we're at? Which, which, which of these programs we're, we're basing our life, we're building our life? Is it, is it trying to, with effort and zeal, to earn and merit and deserve good stuff? trusting in your mighty power. Work, Lord. We need you. If there's any here who uh, don't know your Son as Savior and Lord, might they realize only the cross, only the empty tomb is what gets us access to a holy, righteous God. You alone, sinless, took our place on the cross, shed your blood, took our place in the tomb, physically arose from the dead. Jesus, I believe you did that for me. That's the done program. I invite you into my life. By faith, I receive you as my King and Savior and Lord and boss. Come take charge. We love you, Lord. Work powerfully, especially during these hard days. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guess what? Preacher went three minutes over today. To which Brant says, ha ha, you do it too. <laughs> yes, I do, occasionally. Can I just tell you, the song they're about to sing is worth staying for. But I want you to know, if you need to leave, if you got things you got to do, I understand dismissed, but I encourage you, stick around. Let's stand, and you can go or you can stay. We're going to sing. No longer slaves.